When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Football. Welcome in to Purple Daily. Before we dive in and chat with our guest here, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, just want to give a quick shout out to Big Brothers and Big Sisters and all the work that they do when it comes to one-on-one mentoring relationships. Big Brothers and Big Sisters mentoring little brothers and little sisters, helping them along uh, just just the path of life and even helping them along in their careers later on as well. And, uh, and Federated Insurance, our friends here and our partners at, at Purple Daily and Score North, have something called the Federated Challenge, which helps generate millions of dollars in donations for Big Brothers Big Sisters. FederatedChallenge.org if you want to find out more information about this great and oldest and largest youth mentoring organization in the United States, Big Brothers and Big Sisters. All right, welcome in Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, Declan Goff producing, and our guest on this episode from Pro Football Focus, friend of the show, Eric Eager, what's happening, Eric? How's quarantine life? Month three of quarantine life. <laughs> yeah, we passed day a hundred. Uh, you know, things are okay. You know, I we might be seeing light at the end of the tunnel, although the last ten days or so have been kind of rough. Um, so yes, and I think like we we've been talking about the NFL and how to this point the NFL has gone forward with every step as if they normally would, and so we'll see if COVID winds up derailing the season. But let's assume the season is on, and let's assume the Vikings are playing a full schedule here. We'd love to do a deep dive with you into the offensive line. We want to get meat and potatoes, Judd Zolgad, on this Football. episode of Purple Daily. Um, and so I'm going to throw kind of a broad question at you, and, and you can answer from an analytical perspective. How good is the Vikings offensive line or bad heading into 2020? And what is the upside of the Vikings offensive line, both when you when you account for scheme and zone blocking in the running game and when you account for just individual talent and potential at each position? You know, it's so funny. I mean, I think their offensive line has has the potential to be okay um, in the in the way that it was okay in 2017, the way that it was okay a season ago. But it also has, you know, the components of not being very good if things are not, you know, in place like they were, you know, for example, 15, 16, and 18, the scheme and, you know, the quarterback's ability to avoid pressure uh, were not very good, and, you know, they struggled. So they were last season, if you look at their wins above replacement along the offensive line, they were 18. They were a little, you know, in the bottom third of the league in terms of pass protection. They were a top half in terms of run blocking. 
uh, it, it really does, you know, sort of uh, get, you know, yield the sort of identity that they want. Um, but, you know, with, with Stefanski gone, going to Cleveland, uh, Kubiak taking over, the real question is, is where the continuity is because, you know, they lose their right guard, uh, you know, and they're, they might be breaking in a rookie left or right tackle in Ezra Cleveland later on. So there's a lot of question marks there, but it's not one of those things where it's, you know, uh, untenable that they'll be good, but a lot of things have to fall in place. Who do you think plays the majority of games for the 2020 Vikings at left tackle, Eric Eager? I still think it's Riley Reef. I think Riley Reef is a is a player who you know is a veteran in this league that they're paying money to. He you know he's average. And one thing that I found in my research uh, is that you know left tackles who you know the and Vikings fans should know this. I think very acutely the the value of going from a, a, the worst left tackle in the NFL to an average left tackle yep. is so much more immense than going from an average left tackle to Tyron Smith or some elite level play because. You know, uh, a left tackle can hurt you a lot more than they can help you. And if, if Riley Reese is average, then a lot of the, the table is set for Kirk Cousins, and, and he's the one at that point that determines the pressure rate, you know, good or bad. And, you know, he, he was better a season ago. He took pressure on 39% of his snaps in the first year in Minnesota. It was about 36%, uh, you know, last season. And, and if he can continue that trend, um, you know, I, I think Riley Reef will be fine, and there won't be a whole lot of impetus to put in Ezra Cleveland until he, he's ready. Are we are we 100% sh- – is, is Ezra Cleveland a left tackle going forward, or is it possible that he is in four years from now that he's a guard? Yeah, I think that, that there's, a, there's certainly a question mark there just because of the level of competition playing in the Mountain West as opposed to, you know, some of the guys that were drafted ahead of him playing in the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, uh, and the Big 12, and so forth. Um, so there is a question, you know, he certainly could move inside and play, um, you know, play guard. Another thing where, where I think the Vikings are relatively woken up on is, you know, Brian O'Neill's a right tackle and he's very good at it. And there's a lot of value there. The differential in value between left tackle and right tackle isn't as big as the difference in pay. Um, so, you know, having him be very solid at right tackle is, you know, is going to be immensely valuable. And if he gets a second contract, it's not going to be nearly as big as if he were to move to left tackle. So, so from that perspective, Cleveland, if he's going to have to play tackle, might have to play left tackle, which, you know, isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do for a guy, you know, drafted, you know, on, you know out of a group of five school. Give me your a projection for the development that you think Bradbury is going to to make, because he, he obviously had a rough first year, but stepping in as a draft pick and playing on the line can be tough, especially a position like center where there's so much uh, strategy involved and, and you, you've got to make line calls and things like that. What do you think the realistic projection is for Garrett Bradbury in 2020 as opposed to 2019? Well, I, you know, he's certainly going to improve. And we, well, my colleague, Timo Risky, you know, did a, a little bit of research on sort of, uh, you know, uh, sort of, you know, curves and sort of like, how, you know, how a guy progresses. And it is offensive linemen, as you would expect, you know, they come in and a lot like Bradbury, they might have all the athleticism in the world, but they don't have the strength to handle, you know, some of the truly elite players. Uh, and, and that's really where I see, you know, uh, Bradbury, the difficulty with him is that this schedule is chock full of really good players on the interior. You have, you know, Green Bay has Kenny Clark, and they play him twice. Yep. The Colts in week two, they have DeForest Buckner, and he's a terrific player. They have the Falcons and Grady Jarrett. Uh, you know, the, the Lions have, you know, have, have some players. I mean, Mike Daniels, for example. Obviously, the Bears have Akeem Hicks, and he's given the Vikings trouble for years. Uh, and then Nadama can sue with Tampa Bay. I mean, they have 
they have a murderer's row, Cameron Jordan for the Saints. Like, it's just a really tough – it's always been a really tough schedule, and that's why you've seen guys like Alf Lyon have struggles. That's why you see Josh Klein, after one season of being okay, they were willing to expend on him because sometimes, you know, it, it doesn't – these defensive tackles in the NFL right now are so good that oftentimes the differential and ability, if it's not a guy like Marshall Yonda, it, it, it's really not going to matter, and the impetus is on Kirk and the offense to get rid of the ball more quickly or to give him space via things like bootlegs and that, and that like. Eric, let me ask, Eric, you, let this. Me ask you this, because, because I've, been I've been sort of railing, railing on the railing Vikings, on the Vikings for, for a long time, time for, for not spending draft capital on, uh, on, on offensive linemen in the first and second rounds. And they've done that more often recently. Matt Khalil and Garrett Bradbury and Pat Elfline was, uh, was in the first three rounds. What should a team's offensive line draft strategy be in general, in your mind? When should you be looking to take tackles versus centers versus guards? Yeah, that's a great. I, I think it very much depends upon the quarterback you have. Um, on my boss, you know, Chris Collinsworth, he, he, made, he made a great statement on a, on a Sunday Night Football game about Tom Brady. He said, you know, the reason all these left tackles, you know, Nate Soldier, Trent Brown, the reason why they're, they can be low-pedigree players and then go get massive deals in, in their subsequent teams is that Tom Brady protects his offensive line, not the other way around. Drew Brees protects his offensive line, not the other way around. Kirk Cousins, the guy that plays quarterback for the Vikings, I think, it, I think it's a little bit more a 50-50 proposition. And so if you have a quarterback like that, the tricky thing is, is he's being paid so much, um, but that, that really does drive the, the notion that, okay, you know, the difference between a market-level deal at left tackle and even the, the first overall pick at left tackle is substantial, that if you have a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, you should really, uh, everything else being equal, be diving into the offensive line market in the draft more so than free agency because you, you need to be able, you know, it, it's not just the quarterback contract, it's the quarterback, O-line, wide receiver, tight end contract that all need to come together and add value. And if you have a quarterback who's paid a lot and doesn't protect his offensive line, then the way to, to try to you know get by that is to draft a lot of players high on the O-line and hope and pray that five of them work out. Um, there's, there's value differential there. I don't think interior offensive line are nearly as important as, as tackles. And, the, you know, the Vikings did really well with Brian O'Neill there in, in 18. Um, you know, but I, I would be drafting tackles pretty high just because you need to, given how valuable they are in the open market and given the type of quarterback that Kirk Cousins is. I love the way you framed the beginning of that answer in that, because I've said this for years and years, is that we always think it's the offensive line's job to protect the quarterback, and if the offensive line doesn't do 100% of the brick wall protection, then the quarterback is the one that's screwed. And then then you look at a guy, I mean, Peyton Manning's one of the great signal callers of all time, but by the time, like Peyton Manning wasn't mobile when he entered the league, and by the time he got into his mid-30s and later, he was less mobile than a palm tree, for God's sakes, right? <laughs> and there's seasons in which, like, there was a year with the Colts, one of his last couple of years with the Colts, in, in, in a full season, Peyton Manning was sacked 10 times. Is that because Peyton Manning is flushing out with his legs like Russell Wilson and avoiding pass rushers? No, it's because he understands how to get rid of the ball, how to abort mission on a play, how to, how to throw a pass for an incomplete pass that's not grounding, right? Like, he's he's getting sacked 10 times versus somebody else getting sacked 35 times because he knows what he's doing. And those offensive line look better because of it, too. In the 1980s, I believe it was Dan Marino had a stretch of games where he sacked zero times in 19 games. And he had a season <laughs> where he sacked six times the entire year. And, you know, 
to me, like you look at that example and you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is a guy that has complete command over the offense. Uh, he's a guy that, um, you know, he, he not only understands where the routes are going, but, you know, he understands what the protections are doing. The really tricky part, though, is in, in my research, you know, the wide receivers are, are more valuable than the offensive line because if you got guys that can win in under two and a half seconds, then the linemen become less important because the quarterback can get rid of the football. If you got, if you have receivers that can't win early in the route, then then it, then it, the knockdown chain goes to the offensive line. And if they can't protect for three seconds, which many of them can, especially given the athleticism differential, it's tough. So one of the, the I'm hinging the sort of answer on the Vikings in 2020 on, okay, is Justin Jefferson good enough to play at the NFL level? Is Adam Thielen able to, you know, reclaim some of the magic he had without Stephon Diggs uh, that he had in 2018 with Stephon Diggs? Uh, because he was the most valuable player, non-quarterback, in the Vikings, uh, you know, decade last, in 2018. Um, you know, can he only D.C. Johnson, can Irv Smith, can they get open? Because to, to depend upon Kirk to own the offense the way that some of these truly elite quarterbacks own the offense is, I think, a, a bridge too far. How tough has this become to, as far as, as you know, 20 years back, right? Your pressure on the defensive line came from the right end. The left end was more of a base end. And and I love them and God bless them. But fat men played in the middle of the D line. And as you just went through now in the interior, it's athletes. Daniel Hunter plays left end unheard of 20 years back. The point being is how how much do teams need to um, start to change their thinking if they have not done this, Eric, when it comes to to construction of the O-line and not just left tackle, but interior? I mean, you know, guards for the most part used to be, hey, you know, this guy can play. He's sort of fat, too. Right. But this whole dynamic is changing now because of the athletes that are on defensive lines. So. Do you see teams changing their thought processes? And I guess just as importantly, do you see young players saying, you know what, if I play right guard now, I can actually make a lot because teams are going to need good players at left guard, right guard. It, it's not just uh, it, it's not just uh, I'm going to make mine if I'm a left tackle in 2020. Yeah, it's really hard. Like one of the interesting quirks about the um, offensive line market is that the franchise tag is the same amount of money for every position, so it's guard, center, tackle, even though, you know, my, my our research suggests that guards are less valuable, especially left guards, just about the way that most offenses are right-handed, you know, all that kind of thing. So when, when you're looking at, when you're looking at, you know, uh, constructing an O-line, oftentimes, you, you know, you're looking for values on the interior and you're looking for, you know, superstars at tackle, but sometimes you overpay for that and, and you're more likely to, it's really tricky because as you said, the 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 most valuable positions in football are offensive, but it's in a weird way to say offensive. Defensive linemen, I can take Hunter and I can put him on the interior like the Vikings did against New Orleans in the playoffs. I can take Everson Griffin and move him from right into left end. And the offensive line, you're not, you know, unless you're one of these like max schools, you're not rotating linemen positions every single play. And so what what's really hard is that you know, the offensive line is very much a weak link system. You need five solid players uh, because the defense can attack your weaknesses. Uh, and so it, it's really, it's really tricky because you do need like, you do need to be able to find value at all five of those positions. And if you overpay for like, so let's say a left tackle who only ends up being average, like Riley Reed, then that money comes, you know, knocks down off of what you can do at right guard or center or, 
and, and it's a, it's a tough one. And, and I think, as you said, Judd, the evolution of defenses, like your right tackle isn't facing Kenny Mixon 70 times a game <laughs> where he's just trying to set the edge against the run. Yep. You know, he's facing Denell Hunter, who's a much better athlete than him. And so that's why, you know, as much flack as we can give the Vikings for being poor at drafting offensive line, that's why Brian O'Neill is a great pick, an athlete out there that can make, you know, that, that can make teams pay uh, if they try to, you know, if they only isolate the Vikings right side of the offensive line because of how good he can move his feet and how you know, efficient he is as a pass blocker. Football. That's our friend Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, and it concludes today's deep dive into the Vikings offensive line. And we'll talk again sometime soon, Eric. We appreciate you hanging out with us on Purple Daily today. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Stay safe, guys. You too. All right. That's a wrap on this episode of Purple Daily. You can find us in podcast form, Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com, and also on YouTube at youtube.com slash scorenorth, where we appreciate you clicking the subscribe button down below if that's where you're watching and commenting. We'll see you next time.